0: Lord God, we thank you that we have you forever. And that as much as we have you now, we get you in an even bigger way when we're in heaven. To see you face to face. The moment our faith turns to sight, the moment that grace is, is we see kind of the goal of it. Where this has all, all been leading So, until that day, we just ask for the grace to keep loving you, keep living for you, keep pouring that out on us. As we look at a passage today that deals with peacemaking, I pray you'd give us the grace this morning to understand what you're saying, Jesus, and understand what we're supposed to do with it. What does peacemaking look like for us? So would you help us to have insight and have boldness to act? In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So we're in a series that we're calling The Heart of Discipleship. And we're calling it that kind of because of last week. It's a Sermon on the Mount and Jesus is is giving laws and they're all based on Old Testament stuff and yet he's giving the fuller understanding of what these laws are. And so we said the, the Pharisees would take an Old Testament law and they would try to add extra rules to it to make sure you didn't break it. They were very focused on the letter of the law. And so if you had a law about the Sabbath day, Saturday, you can't work on that day. That's one of the Ten Commandments. They would say, okay, to protect us from breaking the Sabbath day, we're going to have extra rules about what you can carry, what you can't carry, how far you can walk, how far you can't walk, all of these things. But Jesus actually says, our righteousness needs to surpass the Pharisees. It actually needs to be greater. And on the one hand you say, oh really, does that make the Sabbath day even harder? No, actually... It's getting a fuller understanding of what it means to have a heart that is turned towards God and obeying Him. So, if you said something like, um, Thou shalt not steal, it's not enough that you don't steal. Are you generous? You know, there's more there. Do you have a heart that doesn't steal? So, Jesus is going after the heart here. And so, we call this the heart of discipleship. So, would you turn to Matthew chapter 5? Uh, Verse 21. A couple weeks ago I said I think this is a very important uh, message for us in our church because I think like many, many churches, we all deal with interpersonal conflicts at times. Relational conflicts. Friendships that don't go the way we thought they were going to go. Relationships we thought were okay and then we find out something about the person, they said something about us. Or they did something, a friendship goes cold, and we say, "What did I do? No one's telling me what i'm doing uh, but but I want to be clear like what I 'm not talking about today because I 'm talking about being a peacemaker i 'm not talking about making peace with those giant sins that have scarred us for which you might even need some counseling I mean th- there are sins that have been done to us that leave Huge and deep marks on us. And we have to wrestle with making peace there as well and forgiving the person that did those things. I mean, that's, that's a huge topic. I'm not dealing with that topic today. I'm also not dealing with the topic of uh, major church blow-ups. You know, I'm not talking about that. I'm really talking about interpersonal conflict that we have with one another. And because... Because of my position as pastor, I get to hear about a lot of that. I mean, pe- people bring stuff to me and say, this is what's going on. Or I hear stuff that's going on. So I just want to say that I want to deal with that because it's felt here. It's felt. People feel this. Maybe not all of you. Some of you sitting here might go, I don't feel that at all. I think this is great. I, I, don't, I don't get whatever, what we're talking about this for. But people in this church feel this. It's significant. It's significant. Some people feel like they're on the outside looking in and they want to break in. Other people feel like someone has a problem with them and they don't know what it is. No one will tell me what it is. Other people, they hear the gossip and they're like, oh, someone was saying this about me. Some people are sharing the gossip. So, you know, this happens everywhere and it's happening here and so we want to deal with this. We want to talk about this. So look at Matthew chapter 5. Verse 21. Six times Jesus will say, you've heard it said, but I tell you. So he's just going to quote the Old Testament, and then he's going to say, but this is the deeper heart meaning of this passage. So here we go. You've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister Raka or fool is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. I gotta get this out of the way. I just I I knew I had to say this, so here it is. My grandma would quote this to me as a kid. And and if I called my brother or sister names, she would say you know, if you call them fool, you're in danger of going to hell. And I'd be like, what? You know, <laughs> it was scary. It was scary. And I, think as a, I don't think my grandma meant it this way, but as a kid I got the impression that I could call my brother and sister moron, idiot, stupid, all those names. But if I called them fool, whoa. Hold on. I'm in danger. I don't think my grandma meant that. I think she was trying to teach me that all of those names are off limits. But she'd always quote the fool thing and the raka thing, and I was like, oh man, raka, that's scary. I don't even know what that means, you know? So, uh, okay, you get the point. We'll talk about that a little more in a second. So Jesus says, you've heard it said to people long ago, you shall not murder. That's the sixth commandment. Don't murder people. He's not talking about... Killing, like uh, in in war, he's not talking about uh, capital punishment. Those are all good topics to deal with at different times. But he's talking about murdering someone. You you using the power you had to take someone's life because you want to. He says, you know, the sixth commandment says, "You shall not murder." So he's quoting the Old Testament. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So there's another verse that says, you know, if you do some of these things, you're going to be brought to court. You're going to be brought to judgment. If you murder somebody, you're going to stand before the Jewish council and and they're going to declare a verdict on you and you're going to pay the price if you take someone's life. But he says, actually, that's not far enough because I tell you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. The thing here is, if you kill somebody, someone's going to know about it. And you can try to cover your tracks, but when a murder happens, people notice. People know that person's gone. And he says, but... Nobody knows the anger in your heart. Nobody can put you on trial for feeling something. But God knows what's going on in there. And he can bring you to judgment for that. Here's Jesus' words. The sixth commandment doesn't go far enough if you just say, I keep the sixth commandment, I've killed nobody. He says, no, you've actually broken the sixth commandment if you have anger in your heart for somebody. Now, uh, some translations you might have some of these translations. They, they include the word I think um, without cause, anger without cause. Some of you might have that in your in your version. Without cause comes up in manuscripts that are later, and so we think that we think that our, our well we know our oldest manuscripts don't have the words without cause. So we think somebody came along and said, "Wow, having anger in your heart that's a hard teaching. We should make sure we clarify what Jesus meant and write." Anger without cause. Now, I think without cause is a wise way to look at this, but that's not what Jesus says. He says, if you have anger in your heart, you've broken the sixth commandment. What does that mean? Um, It means that our anger is super close to getting malicious, to, to, to going into the realm of sin. Anger itself can't be sin. But it's very close to sin. Uh, point number one then is this, if we can put that up. The root of murder is an angry heart. The root of murder is an angry heart. Now I know all of you know that passage that says, in your anger do not sin. In fact, I read a, I read a news, uh, it was on a Christian news site, and they said that there was a pastor at a church in Texas, I think, that said, you know, don't worry about anger. You know, anger's not a bad thing. That doesn't seem to reflect Jesus' warning here, anger being such a dangerous thing. So I was preaching this sermon through my basement yesterday, and I looked down, and I thought, how am I going to illustrate this? And then I saw my ruler. It's perfect. So let's say there is such a thing as righteous anger, and Jesus shows it, right? Right? Jesus would turn over tables in the temple. Righteous anger. My house will not be a den of thieves. It's a house for prayer for all nations. Okay? So he turned over the tables. That was anger. It was righteous. It was good. In your anger, do not sin. Let's say that when you get angry, you've got about an inch of space before you get to sin. It's a small, it's a small, would, would you give yourself a centimeter even? I don't know. But let's say you have a measuring mark here, and you you have about an inch before you go into the realm of sin with your anger. You know, you get angry because someone said something about you, and you are rightly, righteously angry because they gossiped. But then you you call them that name, and suddenly you're sinning. Or you call up your friend and say, can you believe that so-and-so was gossiping about me, and you've just spread it now. And now you've gone over the inch that you were given. And so it should be no surprise to us that Jesus, the Son of God who doesn't sin, could get righteously angry and flip over. I don't know if I could flip over tables in a righteous way. You know what I mean? I don't know if you could flip over tables in a righteous way. But I believe that Jesus could take that inch and do a lot with it. You know, If there's only an inch for my righteous anger, boy, that's not a lot of space. Because it quickly goes into the realm of sin. I'd like to survey the Old Testament really quick on anger. Just, just so you know that I'm not, I'm not just making this stuff up. I mean, anger is a dangerous thing. Uh, we get those verses up. I want you to look at them real quick. We did this one in, in uh, the drill. In your anger, do not sin. Okay, again, I could sin, but I could be angry and not. When you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Selah, pause, you know. Search your hearts and be silent when you're angry. Don't take action. Chances are action, immediate action, might not be good. Next verse. By the way, if you ever make me angry, my, I, I'm just telling you what I do. When I get mad, I usually try not to do anything because I know my next words or my next actions will probably not be righteous ones. That's just my bottom line. I know that about me, so if I stop, I can get control and I can move on later. Psalm 37.8. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. Refrain from anger. Deal with it when you feel it. Next verse. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Next verse. Proverbs nine eight. Mockery stirs up a city, but wise men turn away anger. Wise men deal with it. They actually turn it away from other people. Next verse. Proverbs 29.11, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. That would be uncontrollable anger in the first part. It's Proverbs 30, 33, I love this. Just think about this for a minute. For as churning the milk produces butter, and as twisting the nose produces blood. I <laughs> love it. So stirring up anger produces strife. Again, I've got about an inch that I can move around with with my anger. But the moment I start to stir it, that butter's getting made, that strife is happening, and suddenly relationships are crumbling. because strife is happening. I stirred it. Next verse. Ecclesiastes 7, 9. Don't be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Don't get mad quick. Next verse. I love this. We'll end with this one. God described, this is one of the supreme descriptions of God in the Old Testament. You see it all over the place in the Old Testament. God says it to Moses when Moses says, show me your glory, and God declares who he is. This is how God describes himself. He is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is the verse that Jonah quotes when he's mad that God doesn't wipe out Nineveh, you know, Why don't you kill all those people like you said you were going to, you know? He's like, I knew you were slow to anger. I knew it. God does get angry. His wrath is fierce. But this is a description all over the place that says he's slow to anger. And so should we be. I don't usually ask this question, because it's not usually a good question to ask, I don't think. But I'm going to ask anyway. How does it feel? How does it feel to know that the root of murder is an angry heart? How does that make you feel? To know that killing somebody and backing up like 20, 30, 40, 50 steps, and it all starts with me being angry with a person, and I'm on that path to murder. Now, I know you'd say I'd never do it, I would never murder somebody but I would murder their character, and I would murder relationships, and I would murder... We have an inch with our anger, and, 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 we, and we just keep going. And we're on that path. And we'll, we'll probably never, ever get to the murder part, but we're a number of steps before it. And God says, no, no. In fact, James says, you know, you, you talk about people... You know, you bless and curse with the same mouth, and it shouldn't be because people are made in the image of God. That's the same reason murder is wrong, according to Genesis 9 6, because people are made in the image of God. You can't just take the life of a person. You can't just insult. Let's keep going then, okay? Um, got more to do here. Jesus gives a couple examples of, of anger and where it leads. When we go over our inch, what does that look like? So uh, Jesus says, Uh, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, this is verse 22, will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Again, I used to be scared to death. I better not call anyone fool or I'm going to be in trouble. But what it's really saying is if you insult somebody, you're demeaning them. If you call them stupid, idiot, and, and a host of other names, you're demeaning them. Swear words. You're demeaning that person. You're demeaning the image of God in them. They're valuable. They're worthwhile. Yes, they sin. But you're bringing them down a level that God has not given you the authority to do by saying those things about them. Now, there's a whole bunch of debate over, I don't want to dig into this too much, but um, it says anyone who calls his brother Raka is answerable to the court or the council. Some translations say Sanhedrin. Because literally, you could get in trouble if you called somebody Raqqa and they could sue you in, 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 with, with the Jewish court. You could actually get in trouble for that. I think Jesus has in mind a heavenly court, though. I believe he has in mind a heavenly court that God heard you say it. He'll bring it to judgment. And, and, and if you call somebody you fool, Maros, you're in danger of hell. God will send people to Hell. Because of insulting somebody else. That's a serious thing. By the way, hell is the word Gehenna, which refers to the burning garbage dump outside Jerusalem at the time. It was kind of perpetually burning, put their garbage out there. It was an illustration for judgment. Hell's kind of like that place where we burn our garbage. It's serious. It's serious. So let me just say this. For you kids let's not call people those names that you call them let's not use those words because God takes it seriously now there's a Christian um, response to all this and I mean that in maybe a negative way where we can say "Um, but I'm a forgiven person all the bad things I've said have been forgiven I'm not going to hell Kids, if you have Jesus in your heart, if you've asked him to forgive you, you're not going to hell, you're going to heaven. But what if you say, you fool, you're still forgiven? You're still forgiven. And adults, it's the same way. You're forgiven. But do you want to live in the center of God's blessing for your life? Do you want to do you want the discipline of God in your life for saying these careless words? If you want to experience God's discipline, then just go keep saying them. Keep saying them. He'll bring his discipline down because he loves you like a son or daughter, because you are his son and daughter. I don't want that. I don't think you want that. So watch what you say. Because he will bring it down on you, because he loves you. Not the hellfire that you've been forgiven of, but the discipline of a loving dad. It's serious. He cares about it. Okay. Now, Jesus wants to give two practical examples. So it starts with the word, therefore. Kind of like saying, so this is what happens next. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Number three then, Jesus has in mind that you, uh, it's a Jewish setting. You're going to the temple and you're given an offering. Maybe it's a thank offering. Maybe it's a grain offering. Maybe you're just praising God for how good he's been to you. Maybe it's a sin offering because you've done something wrong. But, but you come and you're offering your gift and you realize, uh-oh, my brother over here has a problem with me. I've done something. God will wait. Leave your gift right there. He'll wait and go take care of it with that person. Now, since we don't offer sacrifices like that, we could put this in terms of offering your offering, your, your, your money. We could put it in terms of offering your worship, your singing. Let's use singing. Worship's 24-7, by the way. I mean, it's, it's, it's every day you worship God with how you live. But let's talk about corporate singing. You've come together to sing and praise God. God says, I'd rather have you not sing and reconcile with the other person in this room than sing to me anymore. Just just stop. Don't sing. Go reconcile. Go make peace. You say, why is that? How does that work? Because worship's pretty amazing. Worshiping God's pretty important, right? I thought of two reasons why I think Jesus says it like this. Try both of these on. Maybe you can think of another reason. The first commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. The second is, like it. Like it. Jesus says the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, is kind of like the first commandment. They're connected. You can't separate them and say, I'll just love God, but I won't love my neighbor. No, they're connected. James would say, if you see your brother in need and you say, be warm and well fed, but you do nothing for him, does the love of God live in you? if you see someone in need and just turn your back from them, they're connected. Your love for God is connected for your love for this other person. You can't separate the two. As much as you'd like to, you can't. So you're trying to worship God and love on Him. And He says, good, I want you to love on me. Go love on your neighbor first. Because that's showing that you're really loving me. The other reason I think that we can just stop worshiping and deal with a peacemaking situation is reconciliation always comes before worship, doesn't it? Can you worship God before you have a relationship with Him? Truly worship Him? Can you worship God before you confess your sins and ask forgiveness? Not truly, not deeply. You get right with God and then you can worship Him. You get right with your neighbor and then you can worship God. You see, reconciliation comes before worship. So let's say number three like this. We ought to pursue peace by looking at our own offenses as our top concern. I think Jesus is brilliant here. Because he didn't say this. He didn't say, if someone offends you, make sure you've gone to them. He'll talk about that in Matthew 18, by the way. But here he says, if you remember that you've done something wrong... Your sin ought to be the worst sin in your mind, you know? You ought to be more troubled by your sin than anyone else's in general. I'd say that's the truth. You ought to be more concerned about your sin. So if you've done something... Now, let me give you a couple examples of how this has worked out in my life. Youth Pastor Nile. okay? I had a parent once, and I was investing in her son like crazy. I probably spent more hours with her son than anybody else in the youth ministry during those years. Just so many hours with this, this young man. And then one day, another parent called me up and said, oh yeah, that mother of that son, he was criticizing you and talking bad about you. And I'm thinking, I don't know why I spent so many hours with her son, what, what, what would I have done wrong here, you know? I'm trying to bless the family, and, and, and there's a need that this son has, and I'm trying to be there. And so this, this person told me over the phone, and I said, I, what am I going to do? I said, don't tell me what she said. I don't want to hear it. I, d- I don't want to hear it. If she wants to talk to me, she can talk to me. And I left it at that. Did I do the wrong thing by not chasing that down? I don't think I did the wrong thing. Maybe you disagree with me on that. Let me give you another example, though. A different time, I had a parent who said, Niall, you lied about this. You said we were going to do plan A for this youth event, and then you changed it to plan B. It was basically uh, parents, I was going to have parents drive for this event. It was a scavenger hunt. But the problem was in years past, parents were speeding, and it was unsafe for kids. And, yeah, yeah. I even had them sign a covenant that said, I will not speed. And one parent wrote, I will try. And then they walked out to do the scavenger hunt. And I'm like, I can't even get parents to make a covenant with me, you know? And I wasn't laughing like you are when I said it. I was like, this is serious. This is our kids' safety. I want you to sign this. And someone wrote, write, I will try. So I just said, we're canceling that, and we're going to have youth leaders drive, and they know where all the scavenger hunt sites are, so we're not like, you know, we're taking the emotion out of it. Let's just get the kids from point A to point B to point C safely, Okay? So I took the parents out of it, and this one parent said, you lied, you said I could drive this year. You're the reason I didn't let you. No, I'm just kidding, just kidding. So you lied. And so I did tell her she was going to drive, and I did go back on it for the best of intentions. What am I going to do? So I ta- So um, anyway, somebody told me she was mad at me. I didn't hear it from her. That's, that's the way it always goes, by the way, isn't it? Think of, I want you to remember this. Remember this. When you say something bad about somebody else, there's probably a high, a high percentage chance that it's going to get back to that person. Would you just mark that down? There's a Bible verse for that. Be sure your sins will find you out. I hear things. You hear things. Chances are it's going to get back. So why did you say it in the first place? Well, I thought I was telling it in confidence. <laughs> you should have been telling it in confidence to the Lord. Okay, Okay. he won't tell that to somebody. Um, so I went to her. Even though she didn't approach me, I approached her. I remember it was it was after church. No, I think it was during the week, actually, but it was in the fellowship hall. The fellowship hall. That's where you resolve conflict. Fellowship hall. I was in the fellowship hall, and it was just me and her, and I just talked. And... She said she was sorry for being so mad and and sharing how mad she was about me and that I was a liar and and whatnot. I told her the reasons why I made the change of plans. She said she understood, didn't hold me to my word. You know, that's a a dicey situation when I make a promise and I don't keep it, but I think it's best for the students that I don't keep it. You know, that's kind of like a lose-lose unless there's peacemaking that happens. And there was peace. So I'm saying if you know someone's mad at you for something that you did, It's on you to go. 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 Make that thing right. Maybe you didn't even mean to do it wrong, but go. Sometimes you hear about things, and I think rightly you just cover it up and you just say, you know what? If they criticize me, let them criticize me. You know? It's okay. I can take it. But we make our own offenses a top concern. Usually we're a little more concerned about the other person's offenses against us. All right, last example. Last example Jesus gives is verse 25. Settle matters quickly with your adversary. Now we're not talking about a brother or sister here. We're talking about like an enemy. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown in prison. Truly I tell you, you'll not get out until you've paid the last penny. Any attorneys here to amend me? Settle out of court? All right. I don't see them this morning. All right. Settle out of court. The example is, again, you've created a debt. You've done it. And you know it. And you're going to get in trouble for it. You're, someone wants to take you to court. And if the judge gets involved, who knows what's going to happen to you? Rightly so, that judge may throw you' give you to the officer, and the officer will give you to the jail and you're not going to get out till you paid. That's the example Jesus is giving here. I think the idea is, yes, I've created a debt. I owe this person. So wh- what's Jesus say? Talk on the way to court. Do whatever you can to settle out of court. Why? Because there's a greater opportunity for grace and mercy. You can make peace. If you go to court, you're going to get eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth in a Jewish way, right? You're going to pay the full price for whatever that debt is. But if you have an urgency about you and say, we're going to deal with it now. Let's deal with this. There's a bigger opportunity for mercy and grace to to smooth out that relationship. And you don't have to go to jail. Okay. Okay. We love this verse. This is like the ultimate marriage verse, right? Don't let the sun go down on your anger, right? And don't give the devil a foothold. That's a great verse. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Here's the idea. I've got about a day to deal with my anger. After a day, my inch is up. After that, the devil comes in here and starts doing bitterness in me. He starts churning the butter, you know. He starts bringing thoughts into my head about how stupid that person is and how crazy they are and they've always been crazy and I can't stand them. Think about that. A day. One day. How long has your anger been going on for a person? A week? Well that'd be like, how many inches is that? A month? A year? year's? And the devil's got his claws in you. Because you didn't do this verse. He's got a foothold in your life. And you're like, I didn't even create the offense. They did. And God's like, I know. That's why I told you to deal with it today. So that that offense didn't create your offense and your sin. And now you're sinning. By the way, that's the other reason why you should leave your gift at the altar and go um, deal with that person. You should care about the anger in their heart towards you, right? Right? I care about the anger in their heart towards me. That's true. We let things go, and we go way over our inch, and the devil gets his claws in us, and that leads us to all kinds of offenses. Don't give them a foothold, or Jesus says, like this, Settle before you get to court. Have an urgency about you. Like, this has got to be dealt with now. Not in weeks, not in years, now. Because the longer I let this go, the deeper the bitterness will grow, the deeper the offense becomes. Time's not covering this thing, it's getting worse. All right. I want to end this message with a word about, so far we've talked about sitting down with somebody and having a discussion. We use the word confrontation. Confrontation's, I think, sometimes a loaded word. Like, I'm confronting you now about your sin. Whoa, don't want to hear that. I, I often use the word, I want to discuss this. I just want to talk. I just want to talk about this. There's something between us, and I want to talk about it. And if you can go and love and talk about it in humility, if you go to make peace, good. If you go to be proven right, to show how holy you are and how unrighteous they are, you're not going to make peace with them. It's not going to happen. Even if they cause the offense, it's not going to happen. You go and love. You go to make peace. And you say, hey, this week can we sit down and talk? Uh, I heard this recently too. Uh, I've got a men's group that were praying about conflict. And um, we said, you know, what about going as couples? If there's there's deep-seated issues, how about couple A goes to couple B and talks about it? The man and the woman go together and work this out together. It's good advice. It's good advice. But you sit down in love and you talk. Are there times when you don't need to talk? Well, Yes i got a sermon about that coming up in a few weeks, but I want to talk a little bit about it right now. In a few verses, Jesus is about to say, don't resist the evil person. If someone strikes you on your cheek, turn the other one also. There's a whole realm of offenses that you can just say, I'll absorb it. I'll take the hit. I'll take the insult. You take my cloak, I'm giving you my tunic as well. You force me to go one mile, I'm going to go two. I'll take whatever you had to dish out, and I'm going to love you in return. That's coming up in a few weeks in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's put it this way, final point. Final point. We can pursue peace by covering offenses with active love. Active love. Now, active love, that's redundant, just so you know. Active love, that's redundant. But I don't want you to read that statement and and think this. So and so gossiped about me. I'm just going to avoid it. Avoidance is not what I'm talking about today. Because avoidance often is giving the inches, you know. Oh, I'm just going to, I can't, I can't talk about that. And and, and inside you're seething. (laughs) Active love says, I'm going to forgive them and I'm going to actively love who they are. I'm going to do something kind to them. I'm going to love them in spite of the fact they've insulted me. And you've covered it. A couple of verses I want to show you. By the way, this idea is all over the place in the Bible. I don't have time to go all over the place. We'll do that in a few weeks probably. But a couple of verses I want you to see. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. You can just cover over that thing. Just cover it. Love them. You don't have to have a sit down where you assert your rights and say that they're wrong and that they need to apologize to you. You just go and love. And God may be calling you to do that. Another verse. Paul talks about lawsuits in the church, brothers in Christ suing each other over disagreements. And he says, The very fact you have lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be cheated? It's okay to be cheated. That's hard for American ears to hear. It's okay to be cheated? It's okay to be wrong? No way! I'm asserting my rights! How about you let your rights go sometimes and just take it? Because God's calling you to do that. Die to yourself. For the glory of God, die to yourself. Being cheated and taking it is not a position of weakness, friends. It's not. Active love says, I feel isolated in this church, but I'm not going to wait for someone to call me. I'm going to call them, right? I'm going to get on the phone and call them up. Active love says, maybe when I post all of my friends' pictures online and all the great times we're having together, maybe that makes some people feel left out. Active love Let's love actively. Active love says, I know you said that about me. I'm just going to do something very kind to you this week in return. Active love. Let me give you an example. I've given this before in church. I want to go a little bit deeper. So you've heard part of the story. While we were in the process of adopting Grayson, some friends of ours, church friends, hired Christy and myself to clean out a trailer, clean out this this mobile home. And it was filthy, it was disgusting, and I can't tell you the things that were in it. I can tell you that Christy, Christy did the lion's share of the cleaning and the bleaching, and she saw those disgusting things. I did more of the lifting and, and taking stuff out by the curb, and it was picked up and, and done with. But that trailer was cleaned on behalf of this family that they were kind of responsible for it. The agreement was that when that trailer was cleaned out, it would be sold and we would receive the money for our adoption. As of March 15, 2015, I've not seen a penny of that. And this was, what, four, four or five years ago? I've seen nothing. I'm not saying that so that you think I'm a saint, because I've had anger about it. I've written that person a few times to say, what about the trailer? And I've gotten blown off. Recently, uh, in January, I had this... You know how sometimes your mind goes back and you remember things really like it just happened yesterday? and you get really mad all over again? Am I the one that does that? (laughs) Okay. Well, that happened in January. And I was seething again. I was furious again. Now, I've got Grayson. This is awesome. And we paid for our adoption. That's awesome. But I was so mad. I was mad for my wife, who did all that work. And I was mad that the person lied to us. And I was mad that one time in the past, that person confronted me about something that I needed to do, that I said I was going to do. And I thought, they confronted me. (laughs) I was so angry. And then I heard this voice. Not audibly, but I heard this voice. And you know what it said to me? I'll try to quote it for you. Haven't I blessed you enough? That's what I heard. Haven't I blessed you enough? So I'm not writing that letter even though I could. I could write that letter and I'd be right to write it. Okay? I'd be right to write it. I would not sin if I wrote that letter and said, you still owe us. But I heard the voice of God. You might say, how do I know whether to let it go? Whether to have the conversation? Turn to James 3, please. Let me answer that question for you. James three thirteen James three is all about speaking cursing words to other people using your tongue and hurting And right after he talks about how dangerous the tongue is he says James three thirteen Come on now, swords up. Come on. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. One of my fears is when I have to preach that I can't find the verse fast enough, you know. I know people are looking at it and I'm like, eh, that's the pastor. (laughs) Okay. Now, of course, while I said that, I lost my spot. Here we go. James 3.13. Who is wise and understanding among you? This is right after the verse on how deadly the tongue is. It'll spark and it'll start the forest ablaze. Now he says, who's wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy, that's a relational issue, right? Envy, selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such quote unquote wisdom doesn't come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, you have disorder and every evil practice. Disorder means disunity in the church relational problems, the murder of friendship. You have all of this when you have this worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom says, I need to assert my rights every single time because I'm an American, darn it, and, and you're going to hear my perspective. Sometimes you need to do that. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't. Verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. If you can go to somebody and have a conversation with all of those words present in your conversation, that's awesome. Could you talk to somebody and and be pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere? You will have, I think, a good conversation with that person that you don't have peace with. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What's he saying? If you want to make peace, you better have godly wisdom. If you want peace with this person, real peace, not just you being right and them being wrong, real peace, you better have godly wisdom flowing through you. Now you say, How do I do that? Well, if you were sitting across from me in my office, these are the questions that I would ask you. Some of these are the questions I would ask you. I would say, have you asked for wisdom from God yet? He promises to give it. Have you been reading God's word? More than likely, you'll come across some interesting passages that will guide you in thinking about whether you should discuss it or let it alone and love. Have you been listening for God's voice I don't know if it's just me, but I hope all of you have the experience at times of God speaking silently into your heart. Right? Are you willing to die to self? Are you willing to set aside your rights? Your right to be right. Your right to get an apology. I love an apology. Apologies do a lot, by the way. But can I set aside that right to make peace? What is the price of peace here? Are you willing to pay the price of peace? Christ paid for peace on the cross. Are you willing to pay the price? Does this sin need to be exposed to the light? If you expose this sin and bring it to their attention, will it help them in their own spiritual walk to hear it? Maybe they need to hear that sin. Maybe they're not going to keep growing unless you point out that sin. You've got to think about that. What will bring God glory? What will bring God glory? If you have an issue with somebody and you came to me and said, I want to talk about it with them, I would not tell you, oh no, you can't do that. I'm only saying sometimes the wisdom of God says, covered in love, and that means you have to actively think about how you're going to love them. It can't be passive. okay? If, if your idea of love is sitting down and ignoring it, then you've missed what I've said. Actively love. Either you have the conversation or you love. And if you have the conversation, you're supposed to love too. Here's my challenge, and then we're done. Worship team, would you come up at this time? Would you decide today that you're either going to have that conversation this week, even this morning, or would you decide that you're going to cover over that offense you're going to forgive and let it go. Sometimes you can't let it go. I understand. So talk about it. I understand. Would you ask for God's wisdom on which one of those things you need to do? Let me give you 30 seconds, maybe a minute, to have a conversation with God. We're going to close in worship. If some of you feel cut, I, I mean, pricked, your soul is like, ah, oh. I need to have that conversation. Maybe you shouldn't sing a word of this, these next two songs. And maybe you should just do what Jesus says and go to that person and talk even now. And if you see someone stand up and go and get somebody else and have that conversation, please don't do what our hearts naturally do. I wonder who did the offense there. I wonder what they're talking about. I know who the bad one is in that situation. please. Please. Would you just praise God and pray for peace? Because I know there's some peace that needs to happen in this church. I know it. I'm convicted of it. And I know that it either means conversations or it means covering in love. Take 30 seconds.